Hillcrest Chapel Audio. We hope today's message will help you grow. Good morning. So my name is uh, Tim and I get to serve on pastoral staff, teaching is one of the things I get to do and count it a privilege to unpack scripture with you all. Um, Today I want to start with a question. What is uh, one of your favorite movies with a king in it, a king, royal figure? What's one of your favorite movies with a king in it? Shout out some movies with kings in them that you love. Return of the King, Henry the Eighth. Henry V. Oh, that Henry. Yeah, the eighth. You know the eighth guy. Yeah. What was the other one? A Knight with the King. The Emperor's Got Groove? Isn't the Emperor's New Groove? There you go. All right. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. What's that? Prince of Egypt. Yeah. Lion King. Yes. The King and I. Is that? That's the... the, the yes. Oh, I don't know. He's like, I don't know. I was told to shout it out. That's funny. One more. Princess Bride. That's a classic. Yes. So, so some of my favorites, uh, you already named some of them. Um, Return of the King, Lord of the Rings series. Love that. Uh, I didn't hear anybody shout the Robin Hood movies. I love the Prince, uh, Prince of Thieves. And then the, well, I don't, the Disney one with the fox. I always loved that one growing up. Uh, Robin Hood. Um, what, uh, there was another, oh, Sword in the Stone, another childhood one that I, that I love. Uh, and then we heard Lion King. But so many, what, what I want to draw attention to is so many of these King movies. There's this theme that pops up in a lot of them of, goes something like this, that, that, that uh, the King, for some reason, is away from the land and that something has gone wrong in the land. Like there's some kind of evil in the land. That there's something that needs to be fixed and that there's this longing for the King to return and set things right. It's this kind of pattern, that, and a lot of these different movies, it plays out in different ways, but for some reason, the good king is away, and there's this, something's going on, there's this longing that the king would return and set things right. And, and I wonder if that doesn't show up in so many of these stories, because somehow this pattern is hardwired into us. That there's something kind of, that, that there's something, these fictional stories is tapping into something deeply true about the sense of something has gone wrong and we need the good king to return to set things right. We see the same pattern, the same pattern plays out in scripture. And these, the same, that, you know, that, that shows up in these movies that we talked about. You can go to these ancient Hebrew scriptures and you get the same pattern. I'm going to read this morning just briefly from this prophet Isaiah. This is written 2,500 years ago or more. And it's the same pattern of this Hebrew prophet. There's this sense that this Hebrew prophet is saying something has gone wrong in the land. And this Hebrew prophet Isaiah is longing for the day when the king will return and set things right. This is how Isaiah in chapter 61 expresses it. Uh, This vision of hope, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. 
Isaiah, this, this ancient Hebrew prophet, is longing for the day when these things, the king would return and these things would take place. As we think about this, maybe even this morning, just some questions to think about is, who do you know, uh, who do you know who is in some way poor and needs good news? Whether it's actually financially poor or relationally or emotionally poor, who do you know who is impoverished in some way and needs good news? Who do you know who's brokenhearted? Who do you know who's brokenhearted and needs their heart put back together? Who do you know who's in darkness or in captivity? Who do you know that is in some kind of captivity and maybe, maybe it's literal, political oppression? Or maybe it's, it's, sometimes there's these captivities in our life. Sometimes we can have these inner captivities, these inner places of enslavement, these things that own us, that can be just as strong as literal iron bars. Who do you know who's in darkness and needs light or who's in captivity and needs freedom? Isaiah writes about these things. These things were taking place in Isaiah's day. And Isaiah, he, he expresses his hope. Something's going on. And he, he's longing for the day that the king would return and begin to set things right. So centuries pass. And this, uh, Isaiah, he's part of this, this Jewish people. And centuries pass, and these people, they keep this hope alive. They keep this hope that one day their king, their, who is their God, would come and begin setting things right. And, and centuries pass, and, and, and we come to, this, we come to this, this Saturday morning in a local Jewish synagogue in a small rural village in Galilee. And there's this... this uh, this young man who grew up in this rural village and he's gone away and he's been doing things in the world, but he's come home this day and he's kind of built a reputation and, and he's a rabbi now and he comes home to the synagogue on the Saturday morning and, and, and because um, he's this visiting rabbi who grew up there, they want to give him the honor of reading the scripture for the day and, and expounding on it a bit. And so, so he's at this synagogue gathering and, and they say, would you, would you read the scroll for the day and would you uh, speak uh, to the community today? And so we pick up in Luke chapter 4 and the rabbi unrolling it he found the place where it is written the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And then he dropped the mic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he 
says this, you, for centuries our people have been longing for the king to come back and begin to set this right. And he says today with my reading this, my presence among you, it is beginning. C.S. Lewis has this quote talking about Jesus and he says it this way. Enemy occupied territory. That is what this world is. And Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, you might say, in disguise, and is calling us all to take part in his great campaign of sabotage. Aslan is on the move. Neo has defeated Mr. Smith. Richard the Lionhearted is back in the land. Simba is coming home and Scar's days are numbered. Jesus is saying, he's saying this long-awaited hope in me, it is beginning. I have come to announce that this long way, the hope for the return of the king is happening in my presence with you. We've got these... uh, these two weeks here, this week and next Sunday, we, it's kind of this in-between time for us at Hillcrest. We finished our, our outside series, which was so much fun. Thank you, James Jr. last week for wrapping that up. That was a blast. And then Christian mentioned um, in September, we're going to start this kind of vision series for us at Hillcrest. And we have these two weeks. We're going to do it's kind of a two-week mini-series, this week and next week. And what we're going to talk about for these two weeks is this idea of Jesus as the returning king. What does it mean that Jesus came? And today we're going to talk about this announcement of good news that he brought to us. His, 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 that he is the king returning. And then next week we're going to talk about the tension that introduces for our lives. Because the king has returned, but everything is not all put together yet. And we're going to talk about living in that tension. So it's this two-week mini-series on Jesus and his kingship. But today, um, this idea of Jesus, his announcement of good news, you know, there's the, the beginning of the passage that he read. Can we go to that next slide? The beginning of the passage, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news. I want to talk today about the good news that Jesus brought, this announcement that the king has come back. And, um, and I thought to help us understand what Jesus' message was, I found this reconstruction. They took archaeology and they took um, the scriptures and they put it into like a virtual reality system. They've reconstructed Jesus' annou- announcing the good news. And so we're going to watch this VR reconstruction of Jesus just to understand his good news. So can we play this, um, this high-tech? Yes, this is going to be helpful. Do you think he can fly... Here he comes. Well, all right. Now it's time for me to tell you all what you've done wrong since I last saw you. And don't try and hide because I'm Jesus. I will find you. <laughs> Let's start with you, Peter. You lied to your mother the other day. Andrew, you said a naughty word when you hit your finger with the hammer. James, you laughed at him when he hit his finger. Moving right along, John, you drank too much wine the other night. Not way too much, just enough to make me angry. Matthew, we fell asleep in church, didn't we? Yes, we did. And Thomas, you were slow dancing a little too close with that girlfriend of yours. Let's 
see. And you, I forgot your name, so you're off the hook for now. Philip, um, I saw you smoking a cigarette behind that big rock the other day. Thaddeus, I hate to say I saw you stick up your middle finger at someone who cut you off when you were riding your camel. Benjamin, you aren't wearing your WWJD bracelet. Jacob, I don't mind you saying my name, but not after you stub your toe. Frank, you know what you did. I just can't repeat it because I'm Jesus. Alright, all you sinners, come with me. It's time to pay the piper. Man, it was only one cigarette. I heard that. Okay, so maybe it wasn't quite what I said. Virtual reality reconstruction. Um, Frank. Uh, but I, you know, it's this funny, it's this fake video about Jesus. And, uh, but I do, uh, one thing, like we laugh at this fake video about Jesus, and yet one of the deep convictions in my heart is that a lot of us have fake videos about Jesus playing in our minds. That a lot of us have fake videos about Jesus playing in our minds and in our hearts. And today, I just want to spend a few minutes talking about, the, I want to talk about the real good news that Jesus came to announce. And if there's one thing that drives me, it's trying to replace fake videos with videos of the genuine uh, God-man, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus came, and uh, in that scripture we read, it says, he says, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is on me to proclaim the good news. And what is this good news that Jesus comes to proclaim? The, the, the Greek there, the, the, the word in English, it says proclaim good news. That's one word in the Greek. And it's uh, euangelizo, or the upsilon, the U letter. Sometimes when it transliterates into English, it changes to a V, so it's evangelizo. And what does that remind you of? What verb does that remind you of? Evangelism, to proclaim good news. Uh, this is the evangelizo, the evangelism, the, the, the good news is the evangel of Jesus. A similar thing happens in English, that, um, that in Old English, uh, good news was um, good spell. A spell was a story or a message. So good spell in Old English got shortened to good spell to God spell to gospel. So the gospel is the good news. So this, in, this, in this passage, we come across the, the, the evangelism, the, the announcement of good news of Jesus, the announcement of Jesus' gospel. This is Jesus' gospel. And what it talks about is he says, my gospel is, is going, to be, it's going to be good news for the poor. My gospel brings sight to the blind. My evangelism will set those, those in darkness will see light. My gospel, my evangelism will set the captives and the oppressed free. And what I want to talk about this morning is, and if, and if you kind of uh, space out for the rest of it, I want you to hear this, the next 30 seconds. That when we talk about the good news of Jesus... I would say it this way, that that Jesus himself is the good news. 
Jesus himself, he is the good news. That these things, the, 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 when Jesus encounters the poor, it is good for them. When Jesus encounters the blind, they see. When Jesus encounters the oppressed, they are set free. He is the good news. These are the things that people experience when they encounter Jesus of Nazareth. He, when we talk about the king coming back, what does it look like when God's kingdom, God's reign catches hold of a place? It looks like what happens when Jesus shows up. He is the manifestation of the kingdom of God. And, and, and even his acts, the things that he does, like his, his miracles and his deeds, they're not just kind of party tricks. They're not just kind of randomly chosen. The things that Jesus does, they not, they not only validate his claims, but they manifest. Like what he does for people, his mighty deeds, they are meant to be an image, a living picture of what the reign of God looks like. He is the good news. Jesus doesn't come just to start an organization. Jesus doesn't come just to give out concepts or ideas or abstract abstractions. Jesus comes to give himself, him, his life, death, and resurrection. The good news is person and event. Jesus is the good news. Jesus The beginning of his life, or the beginning of his public work, he's walking along this uh, lake shore. And he's walking along and he, and he comes across these fishermen uh, living these lives of quiet desperation. And after announcing the kingdom of God, after announcing the king is returning, he then encounters them. He says, will you come and follow me? Leave these lives of quiet desperation and come follow me and find an adventure, a life bigger than you ever imagined. Jesus, he and his apprentices are, are going along one day and, and they come to another synagogue. And in this synagogue, this religious place that's supposed to be this place of life, in this synagogue, there's a man there whose heart has been captured by these, these spiritual powers who, like, this dark anti-kingdom force has got a hold of him. And, and, the, and this man stands up and Jesus looks at the man and he sees him captured by these dark powers. And Jesus says, be gone, leave this man. And light and the power of the kingdom drives out the darkness of the anti-kingdom. Jesus, one day, he's, he's walking along the road and, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a man and we're, we're told he has some skin disease. Maybe it's leprosy. We don't exactly know what the skin disease was. And, and in ancient Israel, if you, if you had a, a, a skin disease that you were prohibited from living with your family or friends or in the village, you had to live outside the village in caves or uh, in, in tombs or something like this. And, and so this man, he, no, and you, no one could touch you. This man, he probably has not felt human touch in we don't know how long. And he hears, somehow he's heard about Jesus and he comes running up to Jesus and he falls on his knees and, and he says, Jesus, will you make me clean? And we're told that Jesus reaches out his hand and before he heals him, before he changes everything, in the midst of the man's disfigurement, Jesus puts his hand on him. And he says, be clean. 
One day, Jesus is in this home and he's teaching about what does it mean when God's reign breaks into people's lives and, and the, the, these people, and they have a friend who's paralyzed and they want this, this paralyzed friend to meet Jesus and they tear a hole in the roof and they lower the man down. And the man, uh, he, he's there before Jesus and you, you've probably heard this, that Jesus ends up healing the man's legs but before Jesus does that, he addresses a deeper thing and he looks at this young man, he says, son, Your sins are forgiven. That before he put his body back together, he put his soul back together, that this man needed to know that he was forgiven and could be right with his Father God. One day, Jesus is, he's at this this banquet. These religious leaders, they're, they're, they're throwing this banquet. Jesus has built up a reputation. They want to have the, the well-known rabbi at, at their dinner table. And they also are a bit suspicious of Jesus. And they want to try and see if he's teaching the right theology. If they agree with him, they're going to you know, see if they need to kind of capture him on anything. And they're, they're sitting there. And they're, they're at this dinner, and it would have been this um, kind of a U-shaped table, and they would have been reclining at the table like this. They're on an elbow, and they're, they're eating something like this. And uh, this, this um, banquet area, it would have been a somewhat public space, like semi-public. Servants would be coming and going. It's an atrium. People could see in. And uh, while these men are eating, this woman comes in who's known in the village, and she's known to have this shameful, uh, well, the, the scripture calls her a, a sinful woman. And it's assumed that there's some sort of, uh, maybe she's been selling her body, but there's some sort of uh, shame attached to her. And somehow she's heard about Jesus' message or she's met Jesus because she goes to his feet and she begins weeping and washing his feet with her tears. And these religious leaders, they see this happening and they say to Jesus, don't you see who's touching you? And... Jesus actually addresses the owner of the house, Simon. And he says to her, don't you see this woman? And it's such a powerful because there's this sense that Jesus is saying, you're looking at her, but you don't see her. Do you see this woman? Because she has been forgiven much. She loves much. He tells her to go in peace. Jesus, at one point, he's, uh, he's approaching. Uh, well, before that, there, there's these times where um, parents, they want to bring their kids to be blessed by Jesus. And so Jesus and his apprentices, they're, they're at some um, outdoor gathering and parents are bringing their kids. Will you know, will you, will you touch my child? Will you say a blessing on my child? And the apprentices, these disciples, you know what they're doing? They're telling the kids, get away. Leave Jesus alone. He's busy. And yesterday, it was really, um, well, no, it was earlier this week. I was talking to my wife, Christy, about it. And I said, can you believe these disciples? Can you believe they're, you know, stopping these kids getting Jesus? And Christy says, I'm at home with four kids. I get where they're coming from. Well, but Jesus says, let the kids come. Don't just let the cute and well-behaved kids come. Let all the kids come. I want to bless all of them. Let the kids come to me. Jesus, he's, 
He's approaching the end of his life, and towards the end of his life, he's headed to Jerusalem. And uh, what's happening in Jerusalem, there's this Passover festival where, where all the uh, Jewish people who are able to travel to Jerusalem for this giant festival. So picture thousands and thousands, throngs and throngs of pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem. There's this city, Jericho, that's kind of the stopover point on the way to Jerusalem. And Jesus is heading through Jericho. And, and he, you know, there's these throngs of pilgrims. And at this point, Jesus, this is at the very end of his public work, so he's, he's bigger than the Beatles. Everybody's like, Jesus, sign my, you know, toga or donkey or whatever. And people are, you know, he's going and people are crowding around him. And he, he knows when he goes to Jerusalem, like this is the end of his life. And whether, and I don't know exactly if the father has revealed in detail to him how his life will end or just in his human wisdom, he knows that all the people in power are seeking to kill him in Jerusalem. But he knows that he has a week left to live. How would you be spending your time if you knew you had a week left to live? And he's at this point the most powerful and popular and influential man walking through Jericho. And while he's walking through this town, there's a blind beggar, his name's Bartimaeus, who says, Jesus... Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops the entire parade, stops everyone in their tracks. He says, I want to talk to this man. Bring Bartimaeus over to me. And he heals his eyes. Jesus goes up to Jerusalem. And in this, the, the religious temple complex area, he finds this, 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 this temple complex that's meant to invite the world to know the living God. The, the section of the temple complex that's set aside for non-Jews, for Gentiles. The section where, where all the peoples of the world should be able to come and pray. They filled it up. With, um, with a market, with coin exchange, where people can make money so there's no physical space for non-Jews to pray. And it enrages him. That religion would be used for people's financial gain and would be driving others away from knowing the living God. And he starts turning over tables and says, how dare you do this? Over and over again, he confronts religious hypocrisy when, when, when religious leaders are using their power to defraud the poor and the widow. And then he comes. He comes to the last meal with his close friends. And they're celebrating this, this, it's called Passover. And it's this religious festival that his people, the Jewish people, they've celebrated for over a thousand years. And it's this religious meal that, that remembers how God led their people out of slavery in Egypt. This meal that they've done year after year after year after year. This, this meal that defines them as a people, that remembers God. Remember how God led them out of slavery. And Jesus, he, he shares this meal with his apprentices, his close friends. And then he says, you know this meal? This meal that our people have celebrated for over a thousand years. It's actually about me. And my coming death. 
I mean, how audacious is that? Can you imagine on a Sunday morning, we're all singing songs, you know, praise God, praise God, praise God. And then, and then I stand up and I say, you know, these songs you've been singing, they're actually about me. Like, can you imagine a person saying this? Either Jesus, like the Jesus slid off the cracker, or he has some insight into what his coming death and resurrection actually means, that he understands there's some kind of slavery that all of us are entwined in, that only his perfectly good and right death can set people free from. Ah, Jesus says, I am the path to true freedom. Jesus does not come first and foremost to start an organization. Jesus does not first come first and foremost to share abstract concepts. Yes, there are ideas attached to, to following Jesus. Yes, there's this community through history attached to following Jesus. But Jesus, first and foremost, he comes to give himself. He is the good news. He is the good news. He is the good news. And I know for myself, I need to hear this. I need to hear that Jesus is the good news. When, when we hear about megachurch pastors in Chicago failing. When we hear about the Catholic Church in Pennsylvania covering things up, I need to hear that Jesus is the good news. When we come across forms of Christianity where, where, where following Jesus is kind of reduced to a, a formula where you get your get into heaven free card and all the other things that Jesus is about, healing bodies and racial reconciliation and economic justice are forgotten. I need to be reminded that Jesus is the good news. When, when Christianity gets equated with any political party and we forget that Jesus called Matthew the tax collector and Simon the Zealot, both to let go of their allegiances and follow him first and foremost, I need to be reminded that Jesus is the good news. Over and over and over again, I need to let go of these fake videos of Jesus that might build up in my mind, these fake videos of Jesus that might build up in our mind. And we need to come back to the real Jesus and remember that he is the good news. He comes to give himself, his life, death, and resurrection. And to be a follower of Jesus is not first and foremost to join an organization. It's not first and foremost just to sign on to abstract concepts. To be a follower of Jesus is first and foremost to follow, to align oneself, to be in relationship with a living person. He is the good news. Jesus, over and over again, he, uh, 
He calls people to a decision about himself. Over and over again, Jesus asks people, not, you know, where do you stand with these ideas, but Jesus says, where do you stand in relationship to me? He calls people to a decision about where they stand in relationship to him. And so maybe just uh, for us to reflect on today and this week will be the simple question of what is your response? What is our response to this, this king coming back? Him asking for total allegiance. That not that we have all the perfect ideas or not that we behave perfectly, but that we say, Jesus, I trust all that I know of myself to all that I know of you. What, what is our response to this man? Maybe you're here Maybe you're here and, and in some ways, maybe, maybe faith has been feeling flat or small to you. And maybe today it is good news to be reminded about who Jesus is and how big and deep and wide and rich is the good news that he brings to this world. And maybe today you say over again, yes. Maybe today you're here and maybe you feel like there's a place in your heart where you're held captive. There's some place where you feel enslaved. There's some anxiety or fear that feels like it's beginning to own you. Maybe there's some pattern of acting or speaking or feeling that when this thing happens, you keep doing this. X happens, you keep doing Y, you keep thinking Y. You keep feeling Y, you keep doing Y. And you just say, I don't want it to be like this, but I feel trapped by it. I feel a slave by it. I've, and and, and I, I want to be set free by it. Maybe today you say, Jesus, will you be my Will you be my good news in this? Will you help set me free in this? Maybe it's something that has been in the dark. And he says, I want to bring this out into the light. Can we together bring this out into the light? Maybe today it's as simple as this, that you, uh, you've considered yourself uh, a skeptic or a seeker. Or a questioner. You've been curious, but you haven't ever been committed. And maybe as you hear about this man, Jesus, maybe there's something that sparks inside of you. Maybe there's some part of you where it's like a window in your soul is opened up and fresh air is blowing through. And maybe there's some part of you that says, I want to follow this man. I want to know this man better. And maybe today for the first time, you say, Jesus, I don't know all the right thoughts and I know I'm not going to live all the right ways, but Jesus, for the first time, I want to follow you. He is the good news. He is the good news. Jesus is the good news. Let's pray.
Jesus, would you please set us free from those places that untruths have clogged up our minds? Would you lead us to see you more clearly and more truly? Jesus, there's places that we need to, we need to let go of things, whether it's places of unforgiveness or bitterness or untruths in our minds. But Jesus, would you help us see you clearly and draw us to yourself today? Show us how good you are. In your name, amen. Thanks for connecting with Hillcrest Chapel. For more info on this and other sermons, go online to hillcrestchapel.com or visit us at 1400 Larrabee Ave in Bellingham, Washington any Sunday morning, 9 or 11 a.m.